Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. Did you know we release videos every week just for M Plus subscribers? To watch us answering your questions and showing you how to do things, head to the link in the episode description. Hello and welcome to You Beauty, Mamma Mia's daily podcast for your face. I'm Kelly McCarran and today I'm spotlighting melanoma because May is Melanoma Awareness Month. Now, this is more of a serious topic than usual, but here at You Beauty, we're always talking about the importance of SPF and safe tanning, which is you know, a fake tan, that's the only safe tan. And beyond the cosmetic benefits, the real reason we are advocating this is because melanoma is the most common cancer in Australia. And at the time of recording, my cousin is actually just getting out of surgery, getting a big melanoma removed from his face. So we're waiting to hear back about that. And it's just so important because according to the Melanoma Institute Australia, these are the current stats. And I want you to pay very close attention because they're scary and they need our attention. It is expected that over 16,000 Australians will be diagnosed with melanoma this year and 1,300 Aussies will die. Melanoma is the most common cancer for Australians aged 20 to 39 and 95% of melanomas are caused by overexposure to the UV radiation from the sun. Now, if those stats alone don't hammer home the importance of SBF and sun safety, my guest today surely will. Courtney Mangan is the co-founder of The Spin Studio, which is another phenomenal podcast network, and Spin & Co. She's the creative director of James Cosmetics. Yes, those famous eye masks that you've probably seen me wearing all the time. They definitely help me with my current mum life of just sag city under my eyeballs. She's an organisational queen with one hell of a productivity Spotify playlist, and she even owns her own stationery line. And she was diagnosed with melanoma at just 30 years of age and has since fought it off four times. I am so excited to invite this incredible woman onto You Beauty today. I've followed her and her journey, quotes for years, to share her story and to kick everyone's butt straight to the skin check clinic. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm very excited. So I want to start this conversation off by asking you, it might be a silly question, but just so you can give us your insights, what does Melanoma Awareness Month mean to you? Well, I think for me, after my second cancer diagnosis, which was in 2019, since then I have been on a mission to make people more aware about the risks of melanoma because unlike most cancers, melanoma actually, for the most part, is preventable. And unfortunately, our culture around tanning and glamorizing all things tanning and it being like healthy look and it makes you look skinnier and all this stuff around tan, it really is important to me that people understand what that vanity could actually cost them. Yes, I think that's such a good point. And because it's easy for you and I to sit here and say, you know, oh, I think people are aware of the importance of SPF now. And a lot of the listeners will be like, surely people know the importance of SPF. But actually, a lot of people aren't educated on the issue, which is why it's so important. Agreed. I mean, I still have friends who sunbake. 
breaks my heart. I'm like, what more can I do to help you, like, understand? Literally nothing in that case. Like, I mean, that must be so heartbreaking, though. I would just be like, oh, Christ. I think that's the problem, though, with melanoma. Nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them, do they? Exactly. Exactly right. Can you talk to us about your relationship with the son growing up? So I know that I was an absolute terror of a teenager. Like, I look back and I just, oh. I was like a rotisserie chicken, covered myself with oil and then just rolling around in the sun in the backyard because it was so glamorized. And I mean, luckily I am a little bit old, so I can use the excuse that I wasn't educated properly. But tell me about your relationship with the sun growing up. Well, my relationship actually was pretty good with the sun because I am a redhead and I'm very fair. So I didn't really have the opportunity to be out there sunbaking and getting a gorgeous tan. You know, as they say, I would just burn like a lobster. Burn to a crisp, yeah. (laughs) So I always had to be quite careful with sunscreen and I was always really taught the importance of sunscreen when I was going to be out in direct sunlight, like when I was playing sports or when I was out at the beach because my dad had had melanoma when I grew up. However, I was never taught about the importance of SPF every time in between that, you know, when you're driving to work, when you're walking to get coffee, all those times where it's not like you're sitting by the pool with a cocktail, that's obvious. You know, it was all those non-obvious incidental times that you don't realize you're actually getting sun exposure all the time. Even now I'm sitting in a room with a window, you know, and there's UV light coming through the window. So it's all of those little things that I wasn't educated on. Yes. It's also things like if it's not a daily habit and something that you're used to doing all the time, kind of just like brushing your teeth, then, I mean, I guess if someone's a bit of a grot, that might not be a daily habit for them either. But you think, oh, I'll put sunscreen on like later when I do my makeup, but you just forget sometimes to even put it on just to go get that first coffee of the morning because as well you're kind of like, oh, it's not even that sunny, but the UV index is potentially still high enough to do some serious damage. Yeah, exactly. Three or above, which is the alarming thing, can actually be damaging to your skin. So it's really important that you are careful as the minute you're outside or the minute you're near any sort of like window or anything where you have any sun exposure at all. Moving on to like, you know, a more serious question. Can you talk to us about your first melanoma diagnosis? How did you know something wasn't right? I know your story because I've listened to Courtney also has her own podcast, just in case she wasn't doing enough things. It's called She Was the Fire. I've listened to that episode, but everyone else at home potentially hasn't. So tell us about how you felt and what happened. So for me, obviously, the first time I heard the word melanoma was because growing up, my dad had melanoma. He has scars all over his back. His first melanoma was actually when he was 12 years old. What? Yeah, 12. Insane. He grew up like just surfing by the beach his whole life. And then in my early 20s, my mum's brother, he passed away from melanoma. So it was always something that was sort of around my family. But still, I was so naive to think it's not going to happen to me that I just was not vigilant with skin checks. I just didn't go and get them. I just never really thought anything of it. And so when I was around 28, 29, I had this mole on the back of my right shoulder that I couldn't really see myself because it's obviously on my back. But some family members had said that it looked like maybe it was getting bigger or changing and it was right where my bra strap would sit so I would kind of like scratch it and get like scabs on it all the time because it was kind of rubbing a little bit so it would bleed sometimes but I kept saying to myself well it's because I'm like scratching it it's not because it's cancerous and then when I was 29 one of my friend's dads he's a GP and he had said 
you know, you should get that looked at by a skin specialist. And I'd already had two GPs look at it when I went to get my pill renewed or something like that. I'd been like, what do you think of this mole? And they're like, oh, it's fine. And so I was like, okay, I better go get it actually properly looked at. And I had a feeling, I think that's probably why even I delayed it stupidly. You know, when you feel like you're going to get bad news, sometimes you want to put it off. And I went and the doctor said that he thought it looked fine, but we'll take a bit of a shaving off just to send it away to have a look. He said, this was on like a Wednesday and he said, give us a call on Monday and the receptionist can let you know the results. So that was on the Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, the doctor's office was calling me. And it was actually the doctor. So I knew straight away. I'm like, they've told me to call the receptionist on Monday and now the doctor's calling me. And he said, I'm sorry to let you know, but it has come back as a level four melanoma. The way they have a look at melanoma or they scale it at that time was from one to five, five being the worst. And that just kind of tells you the depth that it has gone into your skin. And so I was a level four and he said, we need to get that cut out straight away. I'm referring you to Brisbane, the best of the best up there. So they will handle it from there. And that was kind of how it all started. Oh, I just got chills, like just hearing you say that. Did you sort of just go internal and just go, okay, I just need to sort this out? Or like, what was your first thought? Yeah, I was sitting at work and I work with my family. So my brother was there and my dad was there. And it was actually my dad's skin doctor. And he said, do you mind if I call your dad to talk to him about this? And I said, my dad's here and just handed my phone to my dad. And so I was just standing there while my dad, like I could just see my dad's facial reaction being like, oh no, like I've passed this on to my child essentially. Yeah. And my brother then comes out, everything's glass in our office. So he's looking at me standing there in tears, looking very numb, just like, you know, water rolling out of my eyes. And he's like, what is happening here? So it was just a very like kind of chaotic moment that was like, we're all trying to understand it. And you hear the words level four, and I didn't understand anything about cancer and the way they scale melanoma. So in my head, I'm thinking stage four cancer, which we all know is very bad. And so I'm just like freaking out. So then my brother's getting on the phone to everyone to find out who the best specialist in the world is to try and get more information. And it was all action stations, but I just felt very numb. Like, what does this mean? Am I dying? What does this mean for me? I just couldn't really like grasp the idea. Well, it's something that no one really should ever, especially in your 20s, have to try to even wrap your head around. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes doctors aren't, especially in this field, what I've learned is they're not really trained in emotional support. So it was just like, hey, here are the facts. I'll send you a referral for Brisbane. Bye. And I was just like, okay. You just couldn't even believe like, what does this mean? I don't, Mm. and then you try to avoid Google because that's a nightmare. Yeah. That's like number one tip. Anyone who gets cancer, do not go on Google because that just is the worst case scenario for everything, obviously. And so I was just trying to understand it. So I sort of, Sam got me on the phone with some other specialists to explain to me what this actually meant. And that made me sort of help understand the process that I was like, okay, I'm just going to go get it cut out and we should be good. And so from there, what happened? Like how quickly did you get it cut out and then you started treatment, I'm assuming? Yeah, so I guess I would say we're probably in like the golden age of melanoma treatment right now. What I was offered back then compared to what I'm offered today is very different, even though it's just five or six years difference. 
if my uncle had gotten melanoma today, he might still be alive. So there's a vast difference to what is happening. It's rapidly changing. And so for me at the time, pretty much the next week, I was sent straight up to Brisbane to speak to the specialist there. And about two to three weeks later, they performed the surgery and they also took a lymph node from under my arm, my armpit, just because that's where they thought maybe the cancer would drain and perhaps that would help any spread. They took a big chunk on my back. Like I would say it's probably like 12 centimeters that they took and they were really happy with the margins. The mole was like probably the size of like your pinky. Like it was obviously a big mole, but for 12 centimeters, it was a big chunk. They were really happy with the margins. And I was just told to get skin checks every three months. And that was pretty much it. No treatment. It was just cut it out. We're all good. It did still take like, so what, about a month, five weeks to get it cut out? Weren't you just like, oh my God, cut it out now? Yeah, you definitely get that feeling where you're like, is it growing? Is it spreading? What's it doing? Is it slowly killing me? Like, get this thing out now. But the doctors kind of reassure you that it's like a couple of weeks isn't going to make a huge difference. Like, how long have you had this mole for? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know yeah. how bad it's been for so long. But yeah, you do feel like, get. have you seen that episode of Friends where like Rachel's pregnant and she just says, get it out. She's like, what's the baby? Yes. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. That's what it feels like. (laughs) But so you've since had three other diagnoses. So you've gone into remission, like walk us through that process. Okay. So I had the surgery in 2017. They cut it out. They were all very hopeful. I was getting skin checks every three months. Then by the end of 2019 in November, I noticed that I had a lump quite close to the original mole. It was on my arm this time, maybe like 15, 20 centimeters away. And I had just lost a little bit of weight. And I just noticed like deep inside the back of my arm that there was like this little lump. And at first I thought, oh, maybe I'm getting a boil. Like I don't get boils, but you're thinking like, oh, is that like a pimple or a boil starting to form or something? Yeah, exactly. You don't think cancer. Yeah, (laughs) Um, of course. Yeah. And also I had been trained to think, suspicious mole, suspicious mole. I didn't think anything about a lump. Yeah. And so I just noticed it for a few days and then nothing kind of came to the surface. So I was like, okay, so it's not like a boil or a pimple because I'd be able to now see something, not just feel it. And so I just happened to be having my skin check that same week. And so I just flagged it with my doctor, but it was so small. I literally had to grab his finger and like put it where it was because he couldn't find it when he was looking for it and he's just said okay well just with your history it's just a red flag we're just going to send you away for some tests I'm sure it's nothing and he fully downplayed it and really like reassured me don't stress it'll be okay I went for the ultrasound and the guy at the ultrasound was like "Hmm, okay with your history that's like you know a bit of a red flag there but I'm sure it's okay my doctor then looked at the ultrasound and said look I'm just going to send you to a specialist because this is where like my job ends but to me it's probably going to be nothing. So I went into the specialist meeting by myself because my doctor had like downplayed this whole thing. Yeah. Being like we're just taking the box, getting everything done because you've got so many red flags. We've got to be careful. And I went into that meeting and he just said, I need you to understand that this is probably melanoma. This is probably spread and I'm going to send you for a PET scan. And we've just got to hope that you don't light up like a Christmas tree. That's what he said to me at Christmas time. <laughs> so A strong theme throughout our conversation so far is that a lot of doctors don't have much emotional intelligence. No, they don't. God, that's... Yeah, so I was like, oh, my God. I went from that to a work event that night and I was just like walking through that work event, like just keep it together. And then I said to my brother, we worked together, so he was there. I said, I've got to go for this test tomorrow. 
I need you to come with me for the results because this doctor has me really stressed and my whole family's then downplaying it. They're like, no, it'll be nothing. I knew though, like there's no doctor that's going to sit there and be like, I'm preparing you that this looks very bad unless it looks very bad. So I went the next day, got the PET scan. Then the next day I went after that, I went in for the results. And before I'd even sat down on the chair, Sam walked in in front of me. He sat down and before I'd gotten to the chair, the doctor said, don't sit down. He grabbed a black Sharpie and he started drawing it on my arm and he drew a circle and he said, this is where I'm going to cut on Monday. This was a Friday. I'm going to cut this on Monday. You've got stage four melanoma. Then I sat down and he picked up a laminated piece of paper and said, the survival rate for what you've got is 18%. 18%? Yeah. That's what he said to me. And, and that's how he the, delivered it. Yeah, with like a little graph. Oh. And I was like, what? 18%? What are you talking about? What the hell? This little lump? Like what? And he said, there are two lumps, which means it has spread. So we're calling it stage four cancer. They did then change it a couple of months later down to stage 3B cancer because they didn't think that it was quite the level of stage four, but at the time he thought it was. And he said, look, there are like lots of options. Obviously, we're going to cut it out and then I'm going to send you off to an oncologist and they'll look at immunotherapy, which is a new treatment that they've got, which you know could help your chances of survival. If immunotherapy does work, it comes down to like 50-50 chance that you get up to 50% from 18% if you're eligible for that. And I was like, okay, great. And then I just started asking lots of questions, but he wouldn't give me anything. He was basically like, I've just told you some really alarming news. I need you to just go away for the weekend and start the grieving process. We'll cut it out on Monday and then you can ask your oncologist all these questions. And that was kind of how the process and the nightmare like all really started. So then from there, I had the surgery. I then went to see the oncologist. They sent me away to get my eggs frozen because they're worried about the treatment. I then started treatment. I did that every two weeks for 52 weeks, so for a full year. And the cancer didn't come back. So they were really happy during that whole time. I was cancer-free after they cut out that original one. I finished that in February last year. And then by May, it had spread to my bowel. So very bad news because it meant that the treatment didn't work. That whole year was pointless. And it now meant that it had spread to my organs. So it was officially now stage four cancer. I went in and had that removed along with a bunch of lymph nodes and because the treatment didn't work, they then said, we're just going to put you under surveillance now. We've taken the cancer out. There's nothing more we can do. We're just going to sit on it, which was mentally really hard. How is anyone supposed to be able to cope with that? Like, especially someone that is a doer, Yeah, that there's something that you want to be able to do. Exactly. And even though that treatment for the whole year didn't work, it did feel like a security blanket that whole time. That was like, I was getting all these PET scans that were coming back clear. There was no cancer. So in my head, it was like, I've got this thing, it's working, it's keeping me healthy, keeping me alive. And then all of a sudden I went off the treatment and two months later I had the cancer back and I was like, isn't it because I've gone off the treatment? And they said, no, it was so quick that it meant the treatment wasn't working. It was growing that whole time. And so I just wanted to do something and they said, all we can do is cut it out 
and then put you under surveillance. If we put you on the next level of treatment, it's so toxic that it would be inhumane to put you on that treatment without something to see that it's shrinking. So if, if I had cancer in my body, they can see the treatment is working because it's shrinking the cancer. But because they cut the cancer out, they had nothing to see if it was actually working. So they didn't want to do that. They said the words, it would be inhumane. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want that treatment. <laughs> that sounds no. no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So they cut it out. Next PET scan, three months later, it's now in my thigh. So it's just going on a world tour of my body and they then say, okay, we're not going to cut this one out. We're going to put you on the inhumane treatment and see if that works. So that was, again, like another whole mind flip because then I'd been used to just like, okay, surgery is what kind of fixes me. And now I'm being told we're leaving the cancer in your body. We're not cutting it out and we're going to see if this treatment works. And there's only 30% chance it will work. So in my head, I'm thinking, where else is this thing spreading to if it doesn't work? There's only 30% chance it's going to fix it. So that was a really scary time, in addition to the fact that they're putting me on a treatment that they referred to as inhumane. So I was really scared about like what the side effects were going to be, what my quality of life was going to be, was this thing going to spread, was it even going to work? So yeah, that was at the end of last year that I went through that whole process. And are you speaking to someone through all this, like someone to help you navigate all of the psychological crap that I'm sure, you know, you have to deal with on a daily basis? I have like a friend who is a therapist and I had said to her, like, you're on standby. I've always had this sort of very pragmatic approach to life. And so I did go through a process in 2020 where I looked at all the self-help books. I did lots of self-development. I did some courses on things, learning more about myself. And I kind of went down this positive route where I was like, okay, I'm journaling. I'm being proactive. I'm living my life to the fullest where I'm able to during COVID, during treatment, all of these things. And I kind of felt that the therapy to me was like a secure security blanket. And I remember saying to my, you know, she was a friend who was a therapist first. She's like a therapist to a lot of my family friends. <laughs> and I'd said to her, like, if this test comes back that this treatment doesn't work, like get ready because I'm coming in then. And it just felt like having her there as like, when I can't handle it, she's ready to go. I had this sort of backup plan for my yep. mental health. It almost felt like that was also a big help to me rather than talking to somebody every week. I felt like I was strong enough to handle it myself. And then I said to her, if this treatment doesn't work, I'm going to have to come in because I'm going to cap out <laughs> yep. the support myself. But therapy is a great tool. I did do a lot of like reading and podcasts and work. I didn't do nothing. And I guess like she's a kind of a safety blanket, a mental safety blanket, just knowing that she's there. Yeah, exactly. And so how are you feeling at the moment? Where are you at now? Yeah, so in December, I remember I went and got my PET scan and that was the big one. This one was to determine whether the treatment had worked. If it hadn't worked, we were going to have to look at trials, which wasn't going to be a great outcome because I'm allergic to cancer treatment. So I'm not desirable oh. for cancer trials. So that would have been, you know, a very bad situation. So we were really hoping obviously that treatment would work because my options beyond that were quite limited. But I was sort of, I don't know, I think I was preparing to hear that it wasn't working and that we were going to have to go down a different route. And that potentially, I didn't know how long I was going to live for. I was preparing myself for that that whole time. And then in, so this was in December, I got my PET scan. My appointment was for the next day, but my best friend's dad is my GP. And, you know, if you do anything medical, you know that 
Your specialist sends all the tests away, but the tests go back to the specialist and always back to your GP. So I was sitting at a trivia night because I was trying to keep myself distracted. My friends said, there's a trivia night. Let's go do that. Courtney loves games. And so I went to a trivia night with a bunch of my friends and a few of my staff. And I got this call from my friend's dad. And I was like, the GP. I was like, that's weird. So I answered the call and he just said, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) He said, Christmas has come early. The cancer's gone. Oh, my God. (laughs) That really is the best Christmas present or the best present anyone could have ever asked for. (laughs) Yeah. It was, um, yeah, pretty special. That is so special. And your family, I can't imagine as well, like what everyone that loves you, the relief and the joy that they would have felt with that news. Yeah, when I called my mum and dad, I don't think I've ever heard my mum make that noise before. The like the howl of like the crying that she oh, left out. <laughs> she would have been holding in because yeah. when someone you love is going through something, you often don't want to let them see your grief and your pain that you're feeling, but for her to be able to release that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So the cancer was like so gone that the guy that did the PET scan, the doctor did the PET scan, thought that it had been surgically removed. Like that's how good the treatment had worked. So yeah, it was just a complete miracle. So happy. It was only a 30% chance it worked. And usually for me, all I know is getting PET scans and getting bad news. So it was pretty amazing. And I've had one PET scan since then, which also came back clear, but I'm on treatment still for another like 18 months, two years. So I still have to get the treatment just to kind of like keep up with it. Yeah. A lot of the time I think with cancer treatments, it's kind of like there's nothing there anymore, but we're just like going to keep blasting it because it's so insidious, isn't it? It's oh Yeah. Melanoma is a really bad one. It just holds on for dear life. And once it's in your blood, it's really hard to get rid of. And although like, you know, the treatment worked and I'm clear at the moment, it can definitely come back. So I'm not off the hook. I'm kind of waiting for that five year mark to be able to feel like I can really breathe again. Well, you are incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Now that you are this huge advocate for melanoma and awareness, what do you want people? I mean, I know that I already know what you're going to say, but like really hammer it home. What do you want people to know? I think that I want people to understand how important skin safety is. And I think that we really take it for granted because you know, we think that it's just like, oh yeah, you go get a skin check or you wear your SPF. It's not a big deal. I don't think people truly understand how horrible melanoma truly is and how it can impact your life. It's just for me, I've only ever had like, I've had so many skin checks. I just had that one mole. I never had any other moles come back as suspicious. Just the one mole has triggered all of this stuff over the last five or six years and it's just been this like toxic relationship I just can't get rid of him honestly (laughs) you know it's just like please leave me alone a long time ago please sir stop stalking me I need an AVO out on this guy yeah but you do need to take it seriously wearing SPF every day having it a part of as your daily routine and getting those skin checks yearly or you know every second year whichever your doctor recommends depending on like your risk factors but it's just so important to take your health seriously on every 
every level? Is there a colonoscopy you've been putting off? Is there a blood test that you haven't gotten that you know you should? You know, have you gone for your mammogram if you're due for one? Have you been getting your cervical screening test? There are all these things that we put off and it's health privilege. You don't realize how important your health is until you don't have it anymore. I'm a 35-year-old woman who feels like I'm living in the body of an 80-year-old every day. I'm tired all the time. My joints hurt all the time. My concentration is not very good because I'm going through cancer treatment. I never feel like a fun 35-year-old single woman living her life. No, I don't get that luxury because of this horrible disease. And I don't want anybody else to have to go through that because for the most part, this thing is preventable. Yeah, I think that that is a very good lesson that everyone, like all of our UBs listening to that, really need to take that into consideration. And I think your term health privilege, that really just threw me a little bit because it's so true. I've got it. And I think a lot of people listening do have it. I had it. I was exactly the same. Mm. But now anytime there's anything wrong, I'm like hypersensitive, go and get a test, go get it looked at because I just don't want to be in the position again where I left something too late just because I was naive or thought it wouldn't happen to me because cancer doesn't discriminate. It can happen to any of us. And if there's something you can do to prevent it, then you should. And if it's in the name of vanity that you are tanning and sitting, you know, out in the sun and baking yourself, then you really need to have a long, hard look at your choices because being out in the sun is just like smoking a cigarette. Yeah. So it's just something that people need to sort of get their head around. I really hate the narrative of like that healthy glow and all the words that we use. And when you're pale, people are like, oh, you're not healthy. You look sick, you know. It's, you look it's, tired, it's, you look sick, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's all these words and terms that we need to change. You know, growing up, I remember, you know, people would say like, oh, you'd look really good in that dress if you had a tan. And it's all that damaging mindset that mm. we've been taught our whole lives that we kind of need to now counteract. And even I find it hard sometimes times even when I fake tan like I know that's the better option but I still feel like wow I'm still stuck in this glamorizing of this health glow. like you're still stuck in the subliminal messaging that your skin color isn't good enough as it is which is yeah yeah exactly god society has really messed us they up they really <laughs> have they really have well thank you so much for listening to this episode and it's such an important episode it means a lot to me and to have had Courtney in the studio well via Zoom and a huge thank you to you Courtney we're going to put all of your details in the show notes if you want to keep up with the amazing things that she's up to and how she's going if you have something you want me to chat about make sure that you send us an email or a voice memo to youbeautyatmamamia.com.au or give us a good old hooroo on the pod phone on 02899 I'll be back in your ears tomorrow for Friday recommendations and make sure that you're following us wherever you get your podcasts bye